0: We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so, so excited to have my next guest here. We have Kevin McRae, who is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Kevin's Natural Foods, and Kevin as I mentioned, is the co-founder. He launched Kevin's Natural Foods in 2019 to give home chefs the chance to make healthy Michelin-style meals in just five minutes. And the food is absolutely delicious. If you have not tried it yet, you need to absolutely do that. And the company's first quarter of business, they recorded an amazing 4.5 million in sales in the first quarter, I mean, that is, I think, unprecedented, especially for first quarter business. They are growing ever since, estimated to reach over $150 million in sales by the end of 2022. It's sold online now. We'll get into that. He started out really growing in Whole Foods and uh, Costco, but I, we're going to hear a lot more about that. I can't wait to hear more about his journey overall, because as I said, Really, really fascinating, and the product is really yummy. So welcome, Kevin.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. So for those people who are not familiar with Kevin's Natural Foods, what is the backstory? Like, why did you decide that there was a hole in the market and you needed to do this?
1: It's one of those uh, 15-year overnight success stories where (laughs) I started. The insight came really early, actually, uh, when I was in my 20s. I got hit with an autoimmune disorder out of nowhere. And that kind of that kind of threw my life off kilter. I probably spent north of 40, 50 days in the hospital in my twenties. Was dealing with that. The doctors, they uh found ways to knock my immune system down when I get these flare-ups, but ultimately they kind of apologized and said, Hey, we we dove into this. We don't know what's causing these flare-ups. We we don't really know what to do here. Um you're just gonna kinda have to deal with the symptoms as as life goes on. So I was pretty uh, bummed out about that. It was very disruptive and went on with my life and had stumbled on a paper about the paleo diet. Hmm. And at this time, back in 2007, 2008, that was a, it was a new thing. It was very niche at that time. Not a lot of folks knew about it. And it was supposed to be good for autoimmune disorders because it was uh, anti-inflammatory And, um, so I gave the diet a shot and it really worked for me. I didn't have these Mm. massive flare ups. I didn't have to go to the hospital. I didn't have to take medication. So it kind of set me off on a good track, but then there's a break. So I just went on with my life. I had graduated college, studied marketing, got into advertising. I, uh, became a zealot for the diet, of course, uh, with my friends and family. And I became a little bit of a pain to go to restaurants with, but besides that, I didn't think about Um, you know, bringing this new passion into, into business until much later. So life goes on and I get recruited into food manufacturing and I'm helping the co-founder of Kevin's who, um, became my mentor in the manufacturing space, um, with a meal kit concept he had. And, uh, we're working on this in like 2013 through 2018 together on these, on these meal kits. And we're refining the concept, gaining traction, gaining some success. But it's never like a breakout success, home run. And over that time frame, um, I had started to learn some things. One was the uh, it's hard to eat healthy, even if you're extraordinarily motivated like I was. Here I am. I have this this uh, big reason to eat healthy Just in the back of my mind every day mm-hmm. the second thing I saw was, was like the consumer started to their desire and motivation to eat healthy was growing during that time frame. There was like this this tipping point where uh, you saw natural products and these lifestyle diets and just this whole idea of um, managing carbohydrates and refined sugar really take hold in the in the general market, not just in the in the natural food space so at that point um we were at this kind of precipice where the meal kits were doing okay. Uh, I had this like kind of dormant passion for this um, way of eating and empowering other people to eat this way. And um, we were co-packing everything. So we had like this big choice, like, do we stay on this path or um, is there a way to, to do something different and kind of um, pivot and take advantage of everything we learned in the meal kit space? So at that point, in August 2018, we decided to build a factory, design Kevins, and we shipped our first case in August of 2019.
0: So were you ever an entrepreneur? I mean, did you, were you setting up your lemonade stand or delivering newspapers? I mean, were you, did you feel like you had this itch to be an entrepreneur that you had to sort of scratch? backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year.
1: I, uh, I always, it's like the opposite of what everybody says. I had some entrepreneurial experience, but I had actually pictured myself as like a corporate guy. You know, when I was like in college, I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I want to go like run an ad agency or something. That was always like my 10 year plan in the early days. Um, throughout college, I was a personal trainer and I set up my own little, um, personal training studio and, um, you know, kind of, kind of had my first, like not quite lemonade stand. Uh, but I wouldn't say, um, very, very, uh, hyper legitimate professional, uh, long-term business, but it was, uh, it was good experience that I draw on all the time.
0: You didn't see the pandemic coming, I'm sure. That was a, kind of a crazy time, I'm sure, for you as a brand new startup. Looking back, what did you think at that moment? I mean, where, what did you fear about your business and stores were shutting down? Have you thought back on that time?
1: Oh, yeah. So there was, there was kind of two things going on. First was the, the kind of core insight that Kevin's was built on was this whole idea that people wanted to eat healthy. And they were showing, it. you know, if you do surveys, folks will tell you they want to cut the sugar and, and change their change their habits. But all of the core health markers related to heart disease and diabetes and obesity are pointing in the right wrong direction. So what we're seeing is there's this motivation that exists to eat healthy, but there's a, a problem with execution. People are having a hard time pulling it off. Mm-hmm. When the pandemic hit, we saw the motivation and desire to improve your life and, and pay attention to what you're putting in your body like go through the roof. So this awareness that was already taking hold that we were designing all these culinary shortcuts to help satisfy had like grown exponentially overnight because everybody was starting to think a lot more about uh, their health and longevity. So we, we knew that this was going to have some type of long, long-term impact with that mindset. So there was something there that was, um, that we knew that would be a, a positive long-term effect in how people viewed healthy eating. But then when it came to just managing the pandemic um, you know, our company was young, we were new to manufacturing, but we had two things on our side. One is we had just launched that factory so we had a bunch of capacity. Um, which is great when everybody's shorting orders and um we were in the business and ready to work. So everybody in the company, I don't care if you were in accounting or you were uh, you know, meant to be in the factory or you were in IT, you were on the fact on the factory line, packing orders, getting product out. We had reserved warehouse space to get heavy on everything that wasn't going to be perishable and just make sure we didn't short any orders. And we did not short a single order the entire pandemic. So while it was absolute organized chaos, like it was just, Mm -hmm. it was such a stretch for us. I think it helped us earn credibility as a manufacturer because a lot of our customers had seen, um, good ideas for brands come, come across their desk, but to see a brand that was on the younger side, but really committing committed to being an effective manufacturing partner, I think kind of helped us with our street cred <laughs> with retailers.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think more than anything, nobody knew how to sort of manage in a pandemic uh, in the U.S. And I think it's you know the people who have lived through that. There's many many things along the way. I mean, you're managing your manufacturing, dealing with workers who are. Um, Hopefully not getting sick, but it was definitely uh, during a time that that was happening. And I'm sure there's lots of lessons that you'll look back on.
1: So many. Well, first off, being productively paranoid around planning stock up and just we knew at the front end, whoever's going to plan is going to win coming out of this thing. But just working with our people to have two-way communication and just understanding uh, getting them talking all the way through the organization and speaking up when they' when they're not feeling good and just being open and honest with us that was a, that was a big deal for us.
0: You have a co-founder, and can you share more about why you decided to have a co-founder and how did you two get together on deciding to do this company together?
1: So I started in advertising. Ended up in marketing for a supermarket chain out in our neck of the woods, Save Mart and Lucky Supermarkets. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dan, who is the co-founder of Kevin's, came to Save Mart to present uh, an idea he had for that meal kit company. And him and I became fast friends and um, stayed in touch. As I as I after I left Save Mart, um, he called me and said, "You got to come help me on this meal kit company." And I said, Dan, I don't have any experience with food manufacturing. I'm, you know, how? What do you want me to do? What are you looking for? Uh, he had a lot of background um, growing startup companies, and he started as a chef, so he had the culinary side, and had ran plants, so he had operations down. And he's like, Don't worry, I'll I'll teach you that side. Just come come, let's uh, let's work together. So I was going to help him on on his meal kit concept, and we did, and we learned, and we got closer, and at a certain point. It came to that uh, this kind of juncture where it was it wasn't going great, and here I was like obsessed with with clean eating, and we Dan and I both had earned our stripes in this in this industry, just learning along the way for five years on what was working, what wasn't working, uh, what worked about the meal kit space, what didn't, where meals were going, and um, and that's when the idea hit about Kevin's. And we started going, well, you know what's interesting is we started the meal kit idea with wanting to marry gourmet food with convenience, but finally the general market population is almost like ready to add the third leg to the stool, and that is health. And we did a lip, uh, an, an analysis of the brands out in the food business, and we're like, it's so difficult to find a brand that hits on all three of those, healthy, convenient, and flavorful. There was a lot of healthy brands that were convenient but that, that didn't taste good, and a lot of Brands that tasted really good and were convenient but weren't healthy. So to marry all those became our objective. And we were hearing from people that were interested in changing the way they ate and struggling to pull it off. People didn't know how to cook like they did back in the day. There's no home ec in the schools. you got dual income households. So this whole life skill of cooking um, had kind of gone by the wayside, but the motivation was high. So at that point, um, the idea hit and we decided to go all in. And there was a series of aha moments along the way um, that ultimately helped out. It, it became, let's identify all of the things that kind of tripped up meal kits. Shelf life. We've got to have something that makes it through the supply chain. You don't want it to be polarizing. You don't want too many ingredients in there. Every meal kit had a, a bunch of ingredients. So you get somebody in the family that didn't like broccoli, they can't have that kit. Somebody else doesn't like cilantro, they can't have that kit. So we wanted to be simple, mix and match. Price point, don't go a complete meal for two so your trial prices aren't gonna be right. What case pack does the store want? Obviously everything on the, on the consumer side, how are we gonna make this perform? And we stumbled on sous vide cooking, which ended up being kind of a big breakthrough for us. So we started with, all right, empower people to eat clean without sacrificing flavor. Let's double down, go all in on this. Um, and then how are we going to pull this off? And uh, the first big breakthrough we had was uh, sous vide cooking. Hmm. That was big for us. Have you ever heard of sous vide?
0: No, I haven't. I was going to say, what is that exactly?
1: So we wanted center of the plate and we wanted to tackle um, the meat part first because we saw a lot of startups in snacking and desserts and, and it was just it was very rare to have a company focusing on health in the center of the plate very substantial food so we decided to start with ch- a chicken entrees and we were looking at how we could take the prep out of this process and do the basically do the meal prep without the prep work for the consumer so we were going to have to pre-cook the chicken hmm. and every way we were finding to pre-cook the chicken in the factory would either dry it out or hurt the bite or make it taste artificial, and or we'd have to use some ingredients we didn't want to use because we were dead set on having everything be uh, paleo, keto certified, certified gluten free, just held to the highest standard. And so we stumbled on sous vide, which is uh, it was invented by the French. It was brilliant. The the core insight was it wanted to uh, you wanted to cook the meat evenly all the way through from end to end. So if you could picture a steak. If you want your steak like a perfect 130 degrees medium rare, you are typically cooking it on a grill or in an oven or in a pan, and the heating source is very hot, you know, 300 degrees north of 300 degrees. So naturally, if the meat's touching that heating source, the ends are going to be more overcooked than the middle to get to that 130 in the middle. It's not the same all the way through. So the French came up with this process where you take the raw meat, you vacuum pack it in a plastic pouch... And you put it in a hot water bath set to 130 degrees for a long time. And then that heat penetrates the meat all the way through. And then end to end, you have this very consistent, uh, precise, uh, finished temperature for your meat.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And then you put it on your grill or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. after that. Oh, so interesting. Mm -hmm. So I I had never heard about that. That's so, so interesting. So how did you decide... How many SKUs you needed, or you talked about chicken, and you know, how did you know what to start with?
1: We well coming from the meal kit side, we knew that the, in this country, for whatever reason, it seems like we eat chicken six days a week. So we knew chicken when yeah. you rank the sales at the supermarket, folks are eating chicken, so that was a good place for us to start. And we said we're going to start with chicken. It sous vide's really well, um, and we uh, we wanted to have enough assortment to where our heavy users. Could eat the product multiple times a week and not get burnout. Because what we found was the folks that had success um, improving their diet and eating better tended to meal prep. And so our thought was, well, what if our brand could be the meal prep without them having to do all that work? Well, it's not going to help if you only have two flavors and someone's trying to meal prep for the week and they're going to get burned out on your products really fast. So we wanted to start with a line of eight flavors and go, go big. So there, there was a lot of assortment. Um, it, you know, it was, it's a tall order to get eight items approved at a retail on the fir- retailer on the first go around. Yeah. So we would typically be able to get four in, um, which really helped with our brand block and our presence and, uh, gave, gave our customer a lot of variety at the same time.
0: Well you're talking about things that I I know very well like I always share with entrepreneurs that really understanding how the consumer is going to see your brand show up oftentimes you know retailers will say oh we'll take one or two and you know yeah. more than likely you're going to fail and I think that this does not Primarily because the consumer can't see it, right, and they think that it's kind of an afterthought, so I think that's a really, really big lesson there that you have to have enough presence four is not perfect, but at least it's like giving you credibility and and mm-hmm. allowing people to really see what you're doing,
1: yeah, and that was big for us on the on the packaging side of things I mean that was another kind of big big box to check for us was. When we we knew we were going to have two to four items on the shelf and the product had to sell without any marketing, it had to sell better than the conventional offering without any marketing for it to be a runaway success. We knew that from the get-go. So it had to jump off the shelves. So when we were designing the products, we our initial prototypes had all this loud packaging like oranges and yellows and greens. And every time we would go face a shelf to test the packaging, we'd notice that it, it just kind of blended in no matter how loud we made it. And it was because the supermarket is loud. Everybody's screaming for your attention. So it, when we decided to go with more, uh, more negative space, a stark white background and really make the food the hero, uh, and then we went and tested it, it jumped out at you because everything else was screaming at you. And this was like this kind of beautiful white canvas, almost like a resting place for your eye. So you could have two or four items and still stick out in this really busy set.
0: Yeah, no, that's so interesting. Our packaging story in the very early days of Hint was we had clear labels. We really wanted to emphasize, you know, the fact that there was nothing in it, and there's it's clear, and uh, it had fruit. And what we did not take into account was the lighting in stores, and who yeah. and who we'd be next to mm-hmm. um, in stores on the shelf, because often they would put us in the enhanced water set. Next to vitamin water, and it would be colored pink, and yeah. you know some of those loud colors. But the consumer just lost our product, and especially when we had less SKUs on the shelf, it just was um, it was terrible. So we ended up ultimately changing to our white labels, which I have mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. still to this day. And uh, we did it because of some bottle deposit laws that were changing, but we couldn't believe it. I mean, we like 10 x our packaging because of just that one tiny little change. And yet nobody told us that. And it was really kind of an accidental mistake. And it
1: looks great. We look like we could be like cousin brands with our white background.
0: Yeah, I love it. No, that's so great. So one of the things that I th- thought was so interesting as I was doing research on your on your company is that you did not start in direct-to-consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, it seems to be a huge trend to start in direct-to-consumer and then go into kind of the reverse of what many people have done in the past. We certainly, we started in retail first and then went into direct-to-consumer, but we talked to a lot of people who are trying direct-to-consumer first and then they're going into stores. Mm-hmm. So- how did you decide to not start in direct-to-consumer and instead? I mean, you had worked, I guess, in retail. But yeah. tell me a little bit about why the decision to go to d to c now.
1: So I, at, the, at the start, uh, I, I came into this with a little bit of a bias towards retail because I, I feel like we started with the problem. Um, this whole idea of empowering people to eat clean. And we could, we were kind of channel agnostic at the very beginning, mm-hmm. and we just said, "What are the right products, and how do we do this?" And as the right product came to fruition, and we started developing the entrees, and then the sides. Um, shortly after that, and looking at how we can expand this menu, retail became the obvious choice for us, just for efficiency's sake. We looked at that and said, "How do we really help as many people as possible?" Well, today the majority of folks are still buying their groceries online retailers, um, despite how challenging of a business model it is, they're still really efficient. You could ship mm-hmm. truckloads and pallets into the retailer and get it on the shelf at, at the best price point, where when you're comparing that to shipping a parcel, it's still, especially with perishable food, it's the, the economics still tended to work at retail. So, And the retailers were all in a mindset of helping their community. So when we were getting ready to launch this, we were reaching out to different retailers, talking with them, and getting their feedback. And if you read their um, you know, their board minutes or what they were saying at their quarterly meetings, meetings, they were all looking for healthy and convenient. So they ended up become looking like really good partners in this endeavor. So that's so that's how it became obvious on the retail side for us. And then over time, we've really expanded our distributions. Today um, we're in you know over 17,000 doors across the country. So it's not it's not very difficult to find us. However, we've developed quite a following of folks that eat the products regularly and even if a retailer has 6 8 10 items, it's not it's not the full full assortment and it's not all the time. They're mm-hmm. swapping flavors and rotating things out and their seasonal offerings. So the idea behind the e-com now is if you want a full assortment, you want this regularly, here it is every all of our entree flavors, you could buy it online but the majority of our effort advertising dollars investment still goes into that that retail space the the d2c side is for our heavy users who want access to the wide variety of, of meals we have in the in the line
0: very cool so how's the d2c going now
1: it's good the Parcel companies, FedEx, uh, all bounce back from the pandemic and they're, they're delivering boxes like uh, like they used to, which is great. That was a tricky time during the pandemic when everybody was struggling with labor. And totally. So that is going really good. We've actually, we customized the packaging for D2C which I feel really good about. It's it's in a as opposed to a tray with a sleeve, which is kind of necessary for merchandising in the store, it's in a pouch. So you have the pouch of sous-vide meat and the pouch of sauce in a in a pouch. So you're not shipping air in it and it works to keep the product cold better. So we really thought it through. It's going well. The responses have been great. The thing I do love about D2C that you don't get asked easily in the retail space is you hear from customers. For some reason, when folks tend to buy something online, they're more likely to review your product and tell tell folks what you think. So we love the review aspect of the D2C side of things.
0: Yeah, you know, what we found too is when we launched our direct-to-consumer in 2012, we started doing something called Mm -hmm. smash-ups where we would, you know, take two flavors. It was funny. Sometimes we would bring those to retail and we'd say, oh, these two uh, flavors together are really great. And they are like, yeah, I don't know. No one's doing that. So we'll, yeah. we'll wait, you know? And so essentially they would say no, and then that flavor would never come to be. And when we had our own site, we would launch it, you know, which is essentially limited edition. Yep. And so it would drive people to actually come to the site and check out the you have anything new the irony of the whole thing is then we started having retailers reaching out to us and saying Mm -hmm. uh hey uh you know, why didn't you come to us with this flavor? And a few times we said, we actually, we did. And you said no. And they were like, well, that was really stupid. Can we have it? And, uh, and so we said, of course. So it was almost like a way for us to test. And I think today the consumer more and more, if they feel like it's a limited edition, you know, that you only have a few that you're doing, you're doing something that is really special because you mm-hmm. ran into, you know, a great supply of it, but you didn't have enough to go and launch it in some big way with a retailer. Yeah. I feel like it's um, it's really interesting how you drive engagement with the consumer. And I think the other thing that we learned about direct-to-consumer is that our consumer that was buying on and, and is buying on direct-to-consumer still goes to Costco. Yeah. You just have to have sort of a different pack, a different, you know, something unique about it where maybe you're mixing up flavors that they wouldn't normally have online. So it definitely encourages people um, to still buy it. It's not an either-or situation. So I think a lot of times retailers, you know, still to this day uh, get nervous about seeing a company do direct to consumer, but there's so many pieces of evidence from so many people that actually do have a successful direct to consumer that it just encourages people when they go and do their shopping in places where you are that they'll buy it there as well.
1: Yeah, I think you, both of both of the points you made are so right on the money in how you manage D2C in today's environment. Think about what goes into testing something at retail. I mean, you have hundreds of people stocking shelves and receiving stuff in the distribution center. you got to do these large shipments to, to do that same thing online. You have your designers swapping out the picture on the site and you could do a small run and run it in, in the fulfillment center. It's just easier to test. It's a perfect incubator for testing before you go burn a bunch of yours and the retailer's resources, putting something on the shelf in a thousand stores. I love that whole thought of, of testing. Uh, in in the d to c space, so that's we definitely have some plans to do more of that.
0: It's true. And I think people start to you know really look for it mm-hmm. as well as like a reason to go and visit you there and give you feedback and mm-hmm. uh, all of that. So, Super, super cool. So one of the things that I always ask people is about the time when things were not great, right? That you started to feel like, oh, shoot. Uh, You mentioned the packaging, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of accidental mistakes along the way. But is there any other story that really sticks out where uh, it was a tough time, a low point, and you didn't know how you were going to get through it, but you did and what lessons you learned?
1: The number one for us... By far was right before we had launched Kevin's deciding, OK, where do we go with the meal kits? Because those, you know, I had blind spots in, and that's what I learned after the fact. You get kind of married to these ideas. So with the meal kit company, um, I had I thought that it was a perfect product and the in the world should conform to, to my product and deal with the short shelf life and deal with the fact that there was a lot of ingredients in it. And, and that, that hurt the ability for, for that product to take off once, um, once I kind of accepted, Hey, these are, these are barriers that are, that are hurting the brand and you're going to put a cap on this brand. And we're able, and was able to translate that and look at Kevin's with a fresh lens. First off, don't, I wasn't, it changed in my mind. Like, don't be afraid to scratch your own itch. I was like really into healthy eating. And for the longest time, I was like, that's my hobby. That's not a business. The, no, no one else, I, you know, I'm still the weird guy at the restaurant. No one's going to want anything like this. Once I kind of got out of my own way and started being more open to that and then was open to this idea of trying to understand the blind spots. That was really like a monumental learning. before we ever launched, Kevin, because you hear a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, it's it's fail fast and try quick and make sure it's not perfect. There's a lot of that. And we do that all the time, especially with flavors and things of that nature. But my stance on it in this kind of big breakthrough was be methodical before you launch the product. So we actually would put the product up and think about everything that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And it came down to, we want, uh, we used to call it the minefield. Before we would take it to market, we'd have to make it through the minefield, distribution, cost, uh, ingredients, um, what's the right? What's the right shelf life? What's the right flavor mix? Is this going to work in that geography versus this geography? So we came became kind of obsessive um, to check all the boxes, and that learning came from all the experience with kind of this imperfect product that still had a lot of promise in the meal kit space that we were able to translate into making Kevin's kind of armored <laughs> the, the value proposition stronger and it's not not vulnerable.
0: You sort of toyed with entrepreneurship. You talked about in college, you were doing some stuff there, but uh, you also worked for large companies. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you know that being an entrepreneur is tough. I always share with wannabe entrepreneurs, there's way easier ways to make money than actually becoming an entrepreneur. And uh, way easier ways, too, where you know the, the challenges and the ups and downs, the spikes are our highs and lows. It definitely gets your adrenaline rushing, I think, along the way. But what have you enjoyed most about being an entrepreneur that you want to share with people that, you know, kind of keeps you doing what you do?
1: For me, from the get-go, I was really interested in consequential work. And the hardest, to give you some examples behind that, hardest thing being in advertising, when I first got into it, I just loved it so much. I thought I'd be in, in advertising forever. I wanted to be Don Draper. It was going to be perfect. Uh, the problem was, for me, you only had so much influence over the companies that I worked with. So with this, it, once you have that bug where you really want to have control things, I'm not saying there's not a lot of consequential things you could do in the advertising space, but for, for me, I wanted... The work I did that day to be reflected in the product or service that was that was going to market. And I thought, hey, if I just get high enough in in, in a company, then it doesn't matter. I'll be I'll be calling shots and I'll see I'll see this work out there in the world, you know, and it will, it'll be making a difference. It wasn't till uh, Kevin's that I really felt like, OK, when I go to work, what I'm doing I could see the direct response of that. And it goes both ways. That, that mistake I made, yeah. it's out there. I mean, it is out there. It's on the P&L, it's out in the market, whatever it is. If I if I rolled out a product that doesn't hit or overbuy on packaging, whatever mistake, because you're going to make a thousand of them. But the gratifying part is that you know that when you go to work, you're going you're gonna to see the fruits of your labor in a very obvious way um, out in the world. And that's been the most exciting thing on the entrepreneur, on the, on the business side, being in the health food space. And I'm sure you've, you've seen this. It's just hearing from people that are enjoying the products and talking to you about, uh, how the products are improving their lives. That, bar none, is the uh, the most exciting part of running Kevin's is hearing from the customers that it's helping for sure.
0: What's really fun, which I don't know if you've run into this, but when they don't know who you are mm-hmm. and they're talking to you about your product. I I was actually on a ferry in uh, Martha's Vineyard and there were a couple of people drinking Hint on the ferry a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah.
0: One of them said, oh, I've never seen that product before. And you know, she's describing it, and she said, "I love it because it, I get great taste, but it doesn't have the sweetness in it. And so it was great because I, you know, was watching exactly the fruits of my labor right yeah. play out right in front of me. And you know, she was a huge fan. I didn't actually say anything to her if she's happens to be listening. <laughs> um I just I just really sort of was in the moment of enjoying listening and when that opportunity happens, you know, you really Love that, uh right? I think it really just hits you because somebody's talking to you also not just about loving something that you created mm-hmm. uh that you mm-hmm you know have worked really hard to create but also actually they got what you wanted to do which obviously mm-hmm. from a health perspective you are you know speaking my language for sure so well this has been so great everybody definitely go and look for Kevin's natural foods we'll have all of the information in the show notes as well and we really appreciate you coming on Kevin and sharing many of your lessons and good luck with everything and super, super excited to see the growth happen and and continue to happen. So thank you again. And thanks everybody for listening. Goodbye for now.
1: Bye. Thanks again.